Hello and welcome to West Seattle Christian Church. If you're new, welcome. If not, welcome back. Today, uh, during this Advent season and the Advent sermons that we have going on, I have with me Tracy Motts, and I'm really happy that you were willing to do this with us and for us because you're part of us, Tracy. And um, you know, just a little background. You are married to Aaron, uh, who has preached at the church, at our church several times, and we support your church plant, United Church, and I'm just happy that you're here with us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. Um, Yeah, it's our pleasure, and and, I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more about you and and introducing you to the congregation and all those who are watching. Um, I'm going to start by just, uh, why don't you tell us where you grew up? and a little bit of backstory. Definitely, so I am from Mount Vernon, Illinois. So a small town in Southern Illinois, um, about 15,000. And then from there, uh, pretty quickly knew that was not going to be where I stayed for the rest of my life. Um, And so ended up going to Lincoln Christian College at the time, now university um, in Lincoln, Illinois for school. Okay. So that was like, you just went from where you were born and grew up all the way to college and that kind of thing. So how did you decide you wanted to go to Lincoln Christian? Yes, I can share all of those pieces. So I did grow up in the church. Okay. Um, So I grew up uh, in a a church called Central Christian Church. Um, My parents were volunteers. My dad was an elder. Um, they supported me, um, when I, you know, went off to school, they actually are one of our major supporters, um, as well in church planting, not just for, for United, um, but also, uh, in San Francisco, uh, when we planted there as well. Um, so growing up in the church, uh, in high school, um, when I was in student ministry, my senior year of high school, our our youth pastor left and left. uh, There were four of us seniors um, that were kind of left to play the interim kind of role, so to speak, while they were looking for a new pastor. So, you know, he empowered us to, to take point in leading the worship for youth group, Bible study, um, you know, doing some of the teaching. So really things that he had been pouring into us for at that point in time, you know, three years of my life, um, he was saying, now do some of this and here's some adults to support you in that. And from there, that's when I felt the, that, that call to go into actually for full-time ministry. I just didn't know what that meant. Um, and so it's been interesting to see kind of where we would traditionally think someone's life would go um, when you, you know, as a, as a high schooler at, at you know, summer camp, uh, say, this is, this is what I'm going to do. Um, so I went to Bible college and I actually got my degree in business administration. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and so I've actually been in the business world um, my entire career. Um, and so marrying a pastor and finding ways of what does it look like to be in volunteer leadership? Um, and, and what does it look like? I think just reimagining what that call to ministry looks like, um, in the vocational space. That's really important. Um, Beth and I have that conversation all the time. Um, even talking about 
Uh, we both have the same degrees and we wish we would have figured out how to do something different, but I'm going to let her speak more to that when, when, <laughs> when she uh, gives her sermon and preaches for the church too, during this Advent series. So, so you guys have been married for 19 years and you have Elliot who Aaron has introduced us to. I'm going to put this family picture here and uh, let everybody see you guys in a different light. <laughs> <laughs> now tell me a little bit about this picture so we are big sounders fans um we are big sports fans as a family and uh over the last year in particular elliot has also picked up playing soccer um mm -hmm. as you know recreationally and so this was uh when we this was a picture we took when the mls's back tournament launched earlier this year Okay. Um, so we actually um, went to a Sounders match on March 7th okay. of this year. And then right when everything was shutting down. Yeah. yeah. So we went to one match. Um, Elliot got to go down on the field. Like we were super excited for the season. Uh, and then, yeah, everything just changed. So this was just, I think, a bright moment in what had been kind of a challenging spring for us. Um, so this was just a fun little way to celebrate and yeah. um, bring a little bit of, of something that we all enjoy um, together as a family. Right on. It looks like you were having a blast. So. <laughs> Any books that you're reading now that you or have read in the last couple of years you find really helpful uh, that you might recommend to anybody or just were a challenge to you? I'm actually trying to read. So I have two books. I actually grabbed them. So I'm super excited that the Seattle Public Library is back up and running again. Yeah, I, tried, I tried to do eBooks, but then I just go to my blogs and start sourcing recipes again. Ah. So I need the physical books. So the two books that I'm currently reading, so there, there's obvious, um, opposite as can be. So one is Sabbath. Okay. So yeah. I'm an Enneagram two wing three. So I'm the best two there ever was. I do all the things. Okay. So learning how to rest <laughs> is really, <laughs> really important and really, really hard. So this is something that I've started. Um, and then I also just needed like straight up like popcorn rom-com. So I'm reading okay. a book called One Day in December, okay. um, which is just pure fiction, pure cotton candy. And mm -hmm. in 2020, that's what, what my brain said it needed. You know, not to, not to get into your sermon, but like uh, the season of Advent, historically, you know, we think about peace and love and hope and joy, the four themes for the four Sundays of Advent. But on the other hand, historically, Advent has been about there's darkness around. There is hard, there are hard things to deal with. And there is bitterness and loneliness and isolation, of course, dealing with COVID and restrictions and that kind of thing. That's one thing. But then there's there's death. Um, the seasons remind us of things are dying. And but then they then we're looking forward to this spring where where new life comes. And so the historically the church with lament diving into the Psalms, all the Psalms that are like, where are you, God? And I'm ticked off and I'm angry and I'm lonely. And you said this and where the heck are you, you know, mm -hmm. uh, and that language. 
Um, again, a whole nother, a whole nother thing we could do there, <laughs> right? Like down the road. So um, really appreciate you bringing all that up. I really appreciate you uh, let us look peek through the window to your life a little bit before we get to hear from you. And so I think we'll just leave it there. Excited that you um, are part of our Advent series. Can't wait to hear your sermon. And I hope everybody listens to it all the way through. And um, and I hope we get to have you back again another time. Awesome. So, Thank you. All right. Okay. And I guess we'll just say uh, enjoy uh, Tracy's sermon as we look forward to the birth of Jesus uh, in the coming weeks. And um, Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas to your family. <laughs> Merry Christmas. All right. It is possible to be both heartbroken and full of hope at the same time. I read this on social media the other day. You know, that place we've all been seeking refuge in this crazy season known as 2020. I know all of us have experienced heartbreak this year, whether losing a loved one, loss of relationships, loss of a job or income, trying to balance life when school, work, home have all morphed into one in 900 square feet. Some of us haven't been able to see family in over a year. Some of us have had to have hard conversations. Our hearts are broken by the unfiltered vitriol that has infiltrated what seems like every pocket of our country. The German poet Rainier Maria Rilke wrote, were it possible we might look beyond the reach of our knowing, then perhaps we would endure our griefs with even greater trust than our joys, for they are the moments when something new has entered into us, something unfamiliar. Everything within us steps back, a silence ensues, and something new stands in the center. Whether it was a family Christmas tradition, a Charlie Brown Christmas, or from your own personal study, we're all familiar with the Jesus birth story in Luke 2. In our familiarity with the story, we sing songs and we put up nativity scenes to commemorate the moment when heaven met earth. We celebrate this moment throughout the season. Recently as a family, we read through Luke 2 as part of our church's rule and rhythm in this season. As we read aloud, we each listen for a word or phrase that captures our attention and think about what God is saying to us and how we can apply. As we read, I was taken with the next part of the chapter, with the story of Simeon and Anna meeting Jesus in the temple. You'll find this in Luke chapter 2, verses 22 to 38. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon, who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple court. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the Lord required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. 
and a sword will pierce your own soul too, a foretelling of his crucifixion. Continuing in Luke, there was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. These were two people who had seen and experienced so much in the long-awaited anticipation of God's promises to redeem Israel, echoed in the words of the prophets like Isaiah. Isaiah 51.3 reads, The Lord will surely comfort Zion and look with compassion on all her ruins. He will make her desert like Eden, her wastelands like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her, thanksgiving and the sound of singing. Isaiah 52.9 reads, Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people, he has redeemed Jerusalem. As Simeon and Anna waited, Jerusalem had been occupied by Rome. There were political assassinations, the decline of Maccabean rule that had given freedom to their people, the rise of opposing political religious parties in the Pharisees and Sadducees, heavy taxation by Rome, and heavy Jewish religious legalism. At the same time, culture wars from adopting Hellenistic culture from the Greeks had also pervaded, blinding many from the spiritual hopes and instead seeking a spiritual political messiah. Scripture says Anna was a widow, experiencing the loss and heartache of missing loved ones. Yet, with Jesus' arrival, the long, dark winter was coming into the light, and they both knew this was the completion of God's promises, a place where heaven met earth once again, a hope they had clung to through so much chaos and ambiguity. Again, let's look at what was said in Scripture. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Anna, coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. In another well-loved Christmas hymn, I now see these words from the eyes of Simeon and Anna. I see them for us too, in this time where our world has been turned upside down. Long lay the world in sin and error pining, till he appeared and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. The juxtaposition of the thrill of hope in the midst of weariness. Do you feel that with me? In her book, A Weary World, Reflections for a Blue Christmas, Kathy Escobar describes both the thrill and scariness of leaning into hope. She says, hope will require us to let God's spirit move in ways that feel mysterious, scary, and often unfamiliar. Hope can feel dangerous, especially in our weariness. I recently had a conversation with a small group of friends about this. It was on November 1st. Many were beginning to feel that after the uncertainty of the spring and summer and staring towards the face of a long and dark winter, hope was breaking through. Something that had felt like that thing that should not be named 
or publicly proclaimed could be shared with others. It wasn't a hope in the outcome of the upcoming political elections or even a vaccine, those tangible things. It was a hope found in the presence of Jesus and our ability to make space for him to break through and bring the new and glorious morn. We had recognized our pain, trauma, fear, busyness, and self-preservation had made it difficult to experience and hear God. Those spaces he was trying to break through to experience his spirit, revealing himself, challenging, strengthening, encouraging, and healing us. It was a moment to recognize being present, not longing for the past or putting our thoughts and energies toward the future. We will not have the stamina to maintain this hope on our own. We are weary. And we should recognize that and know it's okay. Kathy writes to this too. When hope is waning and our anger or ambivalence is getting the best of us, we will need to strain to see God in small, simple ways that might normally be missed. Maybe it's in the eyes of a friend, a word of encouragement, a song, a view of the mountains, a crisis, scripture, a prayer, a poem, absolutely anything that stirs our hearts towards love, hope, and joy. In his book, I Asked for Wonder, Abraham Joshua Heschel wrote, We do not step out of the world when we pray. We merely see the world in a different setting. Prayer takes the mind out of narrowness and self-interest and enables us to see the world in the mirror of the holy. Prayer brings us into the present tense and presence of God. A space that for a brief moment on a sunny Sunday morning, a group of people actively praying as individuals together through a guided liturgy experienced hope breaking through. When things don't make sense or everything feels out of control in our weariness, cling to the assurance that God is present and preparing us, trusting that God writes the story of completion through the death and resurrection of Jesus, even if we don't see it. Jesus' birth story and the story of Simeon and Anna reminds us, reminds us of that, that God is active and present working in our midst. Our prayers acknowledge his presence, even when the answer doesn't make sense. We believe that he is mourning with us for the brokenness of this world in anticipation for the day when the story will be finished. This morning, I'm reading from In the Grip of Grace by Max Lucado. Can anything make me stop loving you, God asks? Watch me speak your language, sleep on your earth, and feel your hurts. Behold the maker of sight and sound as he sneezes, coughs, and blows his nose. You wonder if I understand how you feel? Look into the dancing eyes of the kid in Nazareth. That's God walking to school. Ponder the toddler at Mary's table. That's God spilling his milk. You wonder how long my love will last? Find your answer on a splintered cross on a craggy hill. That's me you see up there, your maker, your God, nail-stabbed and bleeding, covered in spit and sin-soaked. That's your sin I'm feeling. That's your death I'm dying. That's your resurrection I'm living. That's how much I love you. As we take this moment to practice communion, let's reflect on this scripture, Romans 5, verse 8. God shows his great love for us in this way. Christ died for us while we were still sinners. Amen. <laughs>